This is Becoming Her, a podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the super surprise episode of Becoming Her. This is our mailbag episode, which is just essentially an episode where we um, are taking questions and comments from listeners and answering them. Um, And when I say we, I mean me and my guest, KP Glasheen, who was episode five of Becoming Her. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we um we got some feedback from listeners that KP and I have like an extra special vibe, which I super appreciate. Um, we are good friends, and she is local here in Bozeman, so that helps with recording this episode. But um, yeah, we're super excited to be here. And uh, is there anything you want to say, KP? No, we're pumped. I yeah, yeah. The chemistry is real, so let's oh, let's we are, do this. We are gazing into each other's eyes really right are. now. This is gonna be really good. Okay. So basically, um, we have compiled a list of different questions and comments from listeners, and I think we're just going to take them in order, um, and and I'll read them out loud, and then KP and I will take turns sort of just answering them, and hopefully you find it meaningful and helpful, and yeah, here we go. Let's do it. Okay. So our first question came from an Instagram user, uh, and the question is, how do you handle relationships with friends or acquaintances that remain friends with your abuser? <sighs> Especially in a big, small town like Bozeman, where we live, and I'm sure in a lot of towns, I think people run into this. Um, especially because abusers are very manipulative and are great at putting on a facade and getting people to kind of be on their team still, even though they've committed some pretty horrible things uh, against their partner, but um, it definitely happens. It does. It, it really does tie into another question here, not to skip forward or anything, oh. but the idea of like how do narcissists get so many people to take right. their side right. after we leave, and so those are very parallel, yes, we I shall agree. say, right? And I, I think you were kind of headed down the track of saying, you know, they're smooth talkers yes. and – People like them and you liked them. Yes. At one point, right? (laughs) Right. For so many reasons. And I've always kind of erred to the side of let them dig their own grave. Let them paint their own scene. Like they are going to show their true selves eventually to everybody. They eventually showed it to you. Right. There are other people that might understand and appreciate what you've been through and have your side but they have an alliance or a history and a past with your abuser and you know just like any breakup it's hard just to walk away as hard as it was for us to walk away it's going to be hard for the people that also love that person and it's going to take them time and I would say my best piece of advice there would to be focus on you and your healing Focus on the time that you have with that person that might still be jointly connected and do your best to not ask about your abuser, talk about your abuser, put your abuser down and just focus on the relationship that you want to have with that person that is about you and them and let your abuser dig their own grave. 
Yeah. And if for any reason being in a relationship with that person who's still in communication with your abuser is too much, you have a right to step away and like create space. If you want to continue to be in a relationship with that person, totally okay too. It's super personal, right? And you kind of have to gauge whether or not your abuser is going to use that person to get to you or whether that person is still safe. Um, But I think it's like a really kind of individual situation and personal choice. I caught myself realizing that, and I'm not saying this is what the person who's asking this question is anywhere near, but for me, I caught myself wanting to still be friends with and relate to the people that knew my abuser to still have some information on my abuser Mm. to still like the like, what if? You know, because I, I'm more than happy to say, like, I went back to my abuser multiple times. Sure. And I always kept the window of opportunity open because, like, what if he changed? Or, you know, what if we changed? What if whatever it was? And so I would think I would evaluate what your intentions are in keeping those people. And there are some of them that are very good mutual friends. And you need to figure out what's, like you said, what's going to work for you and help you and what's going to hinder you and I just think being honest with yourself about what those relationships are bringing you and why you are trying to hang on to them is really important yeah a question that I think is really helpful sometimes is like does this serve me yeah and like what whatever answer comes up for you with with that question is like up to the individual but I do think that like asking that question does this serve me you know, is this healthy for me? Is this good for me? Is this what I want? Like, there can be a lot there. A lot. Yeah. And I think, too, that same thread, I live by the, does this feel good? And if it does, do it. And if it doesn't, don't. Right. If the people that are around me don't make me feel good, then what the fuck am I doing here? Right. Yeah. Trust that instinct. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Okay. Moving on to question number two. So a listener um, from Pennsylvania uh, submitted this question via Instagram, and they said, how would you suggest a sexual assault survivor to become comfortable with sex? No longer triggered, but still awkward and uncomfortable, 11 years with the same partner. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a big question, and um, actually KP and I were like preliminarily talking about this because it is such a big question, and um you know, full disclosure, I don't talk a whole lot about myself on the podcast because it's not really about me and I'm, it's more about the guests that I'm interviewing, but I am a, an, a survivor of uh, childhood sexual abuse. And so I have some triggers that I have to be really careful about when it comes to like sexual um, encounters with a partner or otherwise, um, like a committed partner or just like a casual partner is what I meant by that. And so... Um, One of the things that KP and I were talking about before the podcast, a great place to start if you're kind of unsure is to become sexual with yourself again. Um, And if you're like, oh, I have no libido or I'm not like interested in sex at all, um, like reconnecting with yourself sexually can be kind of empowering and also safe, right? Because it's just you. There's no other person involved. Um, you don't like, it's just you, you can stop whenever you want to, or like do whatever feels good for you or whatever you're comfortable with. And I think like once you can kind of re-engage with yourself sexually, sometimes that is empowering enough that you can start to think about what it would mean to engage with another person sexually. And then like, you know, all, all that comes with that. Yeah. 
because it does it 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 flows with the idea that you even coming back into dating and relationship again after abuse is finding that love for yourself Mm -hmm. it's finding the appreciation for who you are and kind of figuring out like how how you tick and so in that like figure out what makes you feel good and figure out what doesn't make you feel good with yourself and then as you move into sexual encounters with an intimate partner right. or a casual partner because right. hey <laughs> I use casual partners to get over this myself and I think when you can get to a spot where you can communicate what's good for you and what's not good for you even with a casual partner right. you including know? triggers yeah not just like what feels good but like I don't like that yeah you know like, like you have a right to say to your partner whether it's casual or committed like this is I don't want that or yeah. like, I do want that or don't do that yeah. or yeah like don't cover my mouth right, right. you know right. like don't don't put your arm you know heavily right. don't, like on my neck like don't even try to choke me don't put your foot anywhere near my yeah. vagina. You know, I yes. don't like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And figuring that out and finding what those triggers are that make you not feel good during sexual encounters is hard. Yeah. But it's key. And I think learning how to love yourself is a hard I, process. And I think you're hitting on something really important where it's like it's not just about sex. Like it's it's this bigger idea of like whether it's sex or intimacy or or love all of that has to be centered within yourself first so self-intimacy self-love self-compassion you know like sexual encounters with yourself and then once you feel comfortable doing that I feel like that's you know it's a healthier place to kind of like move forward with negotiating with a partner and if you're there if you're like okay like I'm through that step I can hang out with myself all day and you know we can have a good time I think a big step in an intimate long-term, right? Because this woman says she's 11 Mm. years with the same partner. And honey, girl, oh my gosh, I have been with my partner for 10 years. And there are still times that, and I don't know if trigger is the right word because I know she's saying, you know, I'm not really triggered, but I maybe get a little bit more comfortable with the word triggered because if there's still that awkward moment during sex, I think that might be attached to a trigger that yeah. maybe you're you're not quite identifying with, but I don't want to own this woman's, right. you know, words. But, and what I'm trying to say is I still have to communicate to my husband when times aren't good for me for whatever reason it may be. Um, you know, my uncle passed away on my birthday and like Emily, I too was sexually assaulted by a family member, by my uncle. And he passed away on my birthday this year. And I think it was like three to four weeks before I had any desire mm. to be sexual in any way, shape, or form. Mm. And I remember my husband was all like, hey, like, <laughs> what's happening? Hey, girl, hey. And I just had to be like, you know, not right now. Um, and he's like, yeah, like, because we've had the conversation, right. he was so aware and could easily pick up on my cues and was like, all right, you let me know when. And I think we've gotten to that point in our marriage and in our relationship that he almost knows right. now, even just by listening to me talk to my girlfriends or things that I'll say to him, like, I'm having a bad day. This triggered me. 
whatever, like, the last thing he's going to do is crawl in the bed and, like, try to slip his hand un- uh, under the sheets. Right. Totally. You know? And even if, like, and, like, no one, sh- we shouldn't expect people to be a mind reader. Exactly. But I do think that regardless of whether they ca- can intuit it or not, if you speak up and say certain things like, I'm feeling triggered or I'm not in the mood, that always has to be respected. Yeah. And partners who don't respect that, you know, that's a bit of a red flag. Okay, and the next question is, what about us who have been through rough family abuse? It's horrible. Um, yeah, I think that there is a common misconception that abuse happens only between romantic partners, and I do think we've tried to address that a bit in this podcast, mm-hmm. but um, it definitely does not have to be between, you know, a romantic partnership and, you know, like the male being the perpetrator and the female being the victim. It can happen so many different ways. And we have had guests on the podcast in episode two, um, an anonymous guest who talked a lot about her um, relationship with her abusive parents. And it was super powerful. And I think what was interesting is in our like preliminary conversations with her about like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? She was like, I don't know. I don't know if I belong. I don't know if I fit in. I don't know if my story like belongs in the podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, if you are feeling that way, there are so many other people who have come from similar situations who don't feel like they are a part of this conversation. And even just this question, what about us? What about us who've been through familial abuse? Like to me, that says, oh, my God, I'm worried that we don't belong as a part of this conversation. And you you 100 percent belong here 100 percent. yeah that's where my yeah. root started yeah. was family abuse my mother was abused for the majority of my childhood uh, by her boyfriend not my father and I think that creates the most trauma yeah. in my life that's where my PTSD resides that's where so much of what I've had to work on goes back to still to this day and you belong here oh, i mean 100% there and the ripple effect that abuse from other people in the family whether that's parents aunts uncles brothers sisters whatever the ripple effect that that type of abuse can create is um profound it is um and i saw a quote i think it's on the we are her um social media page that's like you know Kids who are abused by their parents don't stop loving their parents. They stop loving themselves. Yeah. And once you are in that place, you are open to so much abuse from other people. Once you've stopped loving yourself, you're vulnerable to people who want to take advantage of that self-doubt. It's the fence that we were talking yeah. about. You either become the abuser yes. or the victim. Yep. Once you stop loving yourself, like you just grow so much hate for either other way. people or, or yourselves. You either let someone treat you like shit or you treat people like shit. Right. Yeah. So I would say to that question, you belong in this conversation. And, um, you know, the abuse that you suffered at the hands of non-romantic familial members of your family is not OK. And um, we would love to hear more. I think more people need to speak out about the abuse that they've they've experienced at the hands of their family. Yeah, I think we would love to hear more, and I think the yes. world wants to hear more, and yes. he- the world wants to hear your voice because there are so many people that suffer from that type of trauma. I think more than we have any idea. I mean, that's 
hundred percent. It's real. Yes. All right, we have so many more questions. I know. Gotten up here, pressured. Okay, here we go. Um, from the Instagram account, uh, how do you handle conversations about parents or family that have had to be cut off due to abusive toxicity? It doesn't feel good to me. I do what feels good, and I don't do what doesn't feel good. I think just owning your boundaries and being firm and respectful of your choice and not pushing your choice on other people. Oh, absolutely. And, like, boundaries, like, you have a right to your own boundaries and, like, what feels good to you. And um, and that includes with family members, which can be so hard and so complicated. But if, if it's a stranger, if it's a, a sibling, if it's a parent, if it's a coworker, if it's a romantic partner, it doesn't matter. If someone is taking advantage of you, mistreating you, not giving you the respect you deserve, is a toxic person, you have the right to do what you need to do to take care of yourself, which can feel really, really shitty when it is coming from a family member or a parent. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's heavy. And I recommend yeah. counseling to everyone. Right. <laughs> counseling is great. But and like, you don't have to be in a relationship with someone who is mistreating you. No. And I think if, you know, where you're going with the question is like, what do I say? Do I mm. tell them? Mm. You know, maybe they don't know. Um, you know, that's all up up to you. I think right. that you can just say, you know, like, right, right now, this is what I need to feel safe and comfortable right. and to continue to work on myself. And I don't want to talk about it. Or maybe you do want to talk about it. But that where that goes all depends on your comfort yes level and if you don't want to say anything if you decide like okay enough is enough i am done like you have a right to not have to explain yourself um it's it's totally yeah i, I totally agree kristen it's like really up to where you are at com with like your comfortability explaining yourself yeah. to this other person because you don't owe them an explanation Nothing they have either. violated yeah you know like they violated your boundaries like you know if you need to just like put up a wall and be done you have the right to do that absolutely I think there's a lot of people who have this idea like family is everything and don't get me wrong family is everything yes. my family is everything but there has been times in my life that I've had to separate myself from certain family members for my own mental health and you know I think it's more common than not that the people that are most toxic in your life can be your family and I personally give you permission to not have them in your life and if that's right. what you needed to hear then you're okay yeah amen all right next question this is so awkward I'm like I don't know how do we move from such a poignant topic onto another poignant topic normally I'm just like yeah go ahead and talk but now I'm like oh here we go I'm in charge of like making sure this conversation flows all right here we go um, we have a question from a listener in Canada, and uh, they asked, what are your healing practices these days? Oh, man. Self-love. Yeah. I mean, Lizzo's on it right now. Let's go just go, li go listen to Kate that. Been singing it. <laughs> no, go ahead, KP. I know you. I'm going to sing it. <laughs> no, I'm shy. I just took a DNA test. Finds out I'm 100% that, that bitch that does self-care. Yeah, no. There you go. Go listen to Lizzo. Yeah. Um, she, but like but like music is I mean it can totally be 
a part of that self-care like finding musicians or music or a spokesperson who like resonates with you who you're so you don't feel so alone um who you can just like blast in the car and like feel all your feelings yes totally working on that self-care is huge and sometimes to me that's like taking an extra five minutes in the shower just to like stand there in the morning and breathe yeah and just like remind myself that I am kicking ass yeah. at life, you yeah. know, because I feel like it's easy just to get up, go, come home, like life goes, life ha- happens quickly. And so like for for myself, I just try to slow down a little bit and appreciate the moments around me that are happening that make me feel good. Yeah. I I meditate. <laughs> No, don't I, laugh. It's no, so beautiful. I, <laughs> I do yoga when when I can. Yeah. Um, I, I I work out. I eat well. I try to have uh, healthy relationships and healthy communication and share my feelings a lot more than I ever did because for myself, uh, my PTSD drove me to drugs and alcohol for sure. so long. And that was just me hiding from the pain and not knowing how to deal with it. And then I started talking about it. And then I became in contact with groups of women, like End the Silence, that just started propelling me forward. And I think once you get forward motion, yeah. it's like it's physics. Yeah. It's hard to stop the that snowball shit. effect. It is. Yes. Like you just keep plowing forward. And then, like, the more. And the sun might come out and you might melt a little bit and slow down. But like, you know, once you're, you know, something in motion wants to stay in motion. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's physics. And like, no, it is. And, and, (laughs) and once you're, you have that forward moment, that forward motion and you do hit a hill or a bump and you have to like push it forward. Yeah. It's, it's easier every time. And I think like when you were talking about like, you know, gravitating towards the things that make you feel good, I call that this is such a weird word and I use it all the time in therapy. I call it narrating. I don't know <laughs> if that like resonates with anybody else, but it even does. on like the time if I'm like walking my dog and there's like a beautiful sunset and like there's a breeze tickling <laughs> my face. Um, I will What's just it tickling in my face. Okay. There's a breeze tickling my face. And I <laughs> Please edit this out. I hate all of you. <laughs> no. Ah! Okay. There's a breeze tickling my face. Fuck you guys. And um, I just like stop though. And like I like in like the pit of my tummy, I have this like feeling that feels so good. And I and in my mind, I say like marinate in this moment. <laughs> I'm a chicken. <laughs> Are you the breast or the thigh? <laughs> I'm a chicken in a bag. <laughs> Of, deli- <laughs> of delicious <laughs> sweet and sour sauce and I am no. merit but I like I like have this like mental image of me just like soaking in the moment I don't know if that's, oh, that's no. clearly not helpful it for anyone it is but, very um, very helpful and I marinate often myself thank you yeah. <laughs> yeah. marinate like a piece of sesame chicken <laughs> and it is wonderful um, dogs are great. Dogs uh, are my dog is like four feet from me and curled up on the floor in the studio right now, being the sweetest, most supportive little human. If I ever hate myself, I look at her and I look at the way she looks at me 
And I'm like, oh, my God, something loves me no matter what I do. I could literally do anything in this little being in the world who's so pure and is, is just like a source of unconditional love. I'm going to like cry. Will just like make me feel better about myself, you know? I'm like, if she can love me, even though I'm like a broken human, then I can love me, yeah. you know? And um, recently I came across a term, I think, I don't know if this is helpful for anybody, but like we talk a lot about self-care and that's so important. But on the other side of that is this idea of self-compassion, which is essentially like, um, how would you treat a friend when they were coming to you in a moment of need and then you need to treat yourself the same way that you would treat that friend? So if your friend came up to you and was like, I am an ugly piece of shit. I hate myself. You would never be like, yeah, yeah you, are. you are. You suck. Right. You'd be like, no, dude, you're amazing. And I love you. And, you know, like and you would you would build them up. And so in those moments when you're coming to yourself and saying, I'm an ugly piece of shit. I hate myself. Treat yourself the same way that you would treat a friend and tell yourself, no, you're awesome. And you're a human and you're doing the best you can. And you're trying so hard right now. And you're amazing. You're a hundred percent that bitch. And that, there you go, Lizzo. That's all you need. Beautiful. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Question from a Facebook follower. Ooh. Once I started listening to the podcast, I realized my friend might be in an abusive relationship. How do I bring this up with her? Um... I'm going to kind of spearhead this one because I get this question all the time. Please do. Yeah. Based on, you know, like my work at Haven, I'm out in the community all the time talking to people and educating them about domestic violence and people are like, oh my God, my sister, my mom, my friend, my coworker, what do I do? Right. And that is such a big question. Um, I think the first most important point is that you need to be operating from a place of empowerment, which is, um, different than rescuing someone or trying to save them nobody like you as a human being cannot save somebody they have to save themselves um but they don't have to do it alone so someone who's been in an abusive relationship is is not used to making their own choices they um have had their power taken away from them they don't know how to make decisions for themselves, and it can be really overwhelming for them once they're on the other side. Everyone thinks like, oh, well, now you're out of the abusive relationship, so, like, you're good to go. And it's like, oh, my God, no, you, they have to relearn healthy communication, healthy boundaries, how to take care of themselves, how to make decisions for themselves, and that can be really overwhelming. And so as a friend, family member, coworker, acquaintance, you know, whomever you are to that survivor, you need to be operating from a place of empowerment, which basically means that you are trying to help that person take their power back because someone has taken it from them and now it's their job to take it back for themselves. You cannot do that for them. You cannot reach out and grab their power and hand it to them. They have to be the one to do that for themselves. And because of that, it can be, you know, a bit of a long road. There are a lot of ups and downs. Um, you never know, based on any individual interaction with someone, whether or not they're going to, you know, like get on the trajectory of healing or not or leave the relationship or not or, you know, that. but that's not up to you. All you can do is be an unconditional, supportive source of love and support. And um, I think there's a big difference between telling somebody what to do and being with them and like brainstorming options with them and saying, well, how about this? How about this? How about this? Do any of those sound good to you? And then it's up to them whether or not to sort of 
take up any of those those options that you've come up with together. Um, But having that other person with them, I think, can really help people not feel so alone and not be so scared. And I think reiterating that you're there for them no matter what. Unless you have to create boundaries for right. yourself, because oh, which you have a right to do, you have a right to do. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, like everything Emily said about like forcing and the rescuing, it don't work. No, I tried it. Oh my god, and depending, oh my god, and depending where they're at in the relationship, like if things are good right now, and you come in guns a blazing, and you're like, you got to get out of there. They're not gonna respond well to that. They're gonna no. be like, shut up, and they're gonna close the door. They're gonna shut you out. They're gonna move away, push away. Um, but I do think that sometimes a really gentle approach can work. And if you're their friend and you're a part of their life, you can just say something like, Hey, how are things going with you and -and so-and-so and just let them say whatever it is that they need to say. And then you can kind of go from there. Yeah. I think too, maybe bringing up scenarios or situations, quickly after they happen that maybe you witnessed or you were a part of and saying, hey, uh, last night when Bob did X, Y, and Z, that made me uncomfortable. How did that make you feel? And start conversations based on what you're seeing and how it's making you feel and maybe start planting seeds because if she is unaware of what domestic violence and abuse and assault and all that could look like, she may be clueless, and so if you start kind of planting the seeds or creating a space for her to start thinking about how it's making her feel icky, yeah, you can maybe start leaving a breadcrumb for right. trail for for her. But I think the coming in guns blazing, and you know your boyfriend's an asshole, right. and he's a he was a dick last night like that. That's not going to work, right. especially if they can if they continue a relationship with them and stay in the relationship. They're going to know that you're not a safe person to talk yes. to anymore because you hate their partner, and they're going to feel embarrassed and ashamed. Correct. Or the partner's going to, she's going to be like, hey, my friend Kristen last night was saying how you made her feel uncomfortable. And then immediately Bob's going to be like, you can't hang out with Kristen anymore. Right. Isolate. And then start to isolate. Correct. Um, I could literally talk about this for multiple hours. So I think one of the best pieces of advice I could give anyone is to call your local domestic violence resource. So everyone thinks that the 24-hour hotlines that are out there are only for people who are in emergency situations, and that is not true. You, as a friend or family member who's trying to help someone who could be in an abusive relationship, you can call your local domestic violence resource, and a trained advocate will, like, talk you through how to help that person and kind of tailor fit an approach based on their specific circumstances. Um, If you don't have a local DV resource, you can call the national hotline, which is 24-7. I mean, there are so many resources out there. So you are not alone as someone who's trying to help and go get yourself educated. Go look for support from your local DV resource. Get it, get it. Okay. Ooh, this is a question specifically for KP from an Instagram follower in the Netherlands. Okay. When you said you still held love for your ex, I really resonated with that. There was a lot of love there. Do you think all abusers are bad people, or do you think that some of them just have unresolved trauma of their own? Wow. Uh, I'm just saying wow because it's crazy that someone from the Netherlands heard my episode and that it reaches that far. It's pretty cool. It's why, why we are here. 
Well, do I think they are bad? They are all bad people. No, I don't think that they are all bad people. Um, some of them are pure evil from some of the things that I've witnessed myself or have heard from other women sharing their stories. But I really do believe that the majority of them are just reeling from their own trauma and nobody has told them there's another way or they decided to not seek out another way. And it's really sad because in my situation, my abuser's father was an abuser and abused his mother and abused the boys. It was him and his brother. And, you know, now all these years later, I can look back and see how it was all just perpetuating on itself. And I don't think that Eric, my abuser, was 100% bad. But I think, especially at this point, from what I've known and heard from his adult life, uh, too far gone. And so with that being said, although they may be good people inside, you are not their savior. You will not change them. The love for you, the love you have for them will not make them a better person. It will not make them a better lover. And it will not make them the person that you so wish they could be. And as hard as it is to turn your back on someone you love, boundaries are boundaries. Your sanity and your mental health are way more important than sticking around for love. And honey, you will find someone who loves you the right way. Yeah. And I I get this question pretty frequently from when I'm like from community members, when I'm out training people about DV, I generally try to steer the conversation away from abusers. But inevitably, someone is always like, hey, can abusers change? And like, wow, that's such a loaded question. Um, I personally, in the experience that I've had working with survivors and their abusers, is that um, it's more important to focus on prevention. Because by the time somebody gets to a certain point in their life where they have to abuse someone you know in order to have a sense of control over their own lives like they're too far gone and that doesn't mean that they're incapable of other emotions abusers don't abuse every moment of every day they're often loving they're often kind they're often you know expressing love to their partner um regardless though like nobody deserves to be abused and no one needs to be in a relationship where that person is trying to have power and control over them yeah you know and that's hard that's so hard like almost every survivor I've ever worked with has some level of empathy for their partner and has tried to reconcile and wrap their mind around like how did this person become this way you know and that's really beautiful that's really beautiful um regardless though you still don't have to be put up being treated that way And you will find a relationship where you are treated with respect and where that person is not trying to have power and control over you. So it's out there. It's out there. Um, From a Facebook follower, the question is, I feel like sharing my story. How did you start sharing your story and what are some of the ways I can share? How did I start sharing my story? I first found a way for an outlet for my story. Uh, My local... Oh, it's a chap. What what's the chapter at MSU? The um, they do the vagina monologues. Help me out. Um, uh, saga or students against or uh, sa- no, students against sexual students violence against. or maybe it was students yeah. against sexual 
Mayans? Is it Sasa or Saga? Sasa. Sasa. Students Against Sexual Assault. Thank they put you. on the vagina Sasa. monologues. There it is. They put on the vagina monologues here at, at MSU, Montana State University. And I think at that time, I was volunteering for Haven, and I had not really shared my story a ton. I was like a, a children's advocate, or uh, I would watch the kids when the moms would go in for their little meeting, yep. and I helped clean a couple times, and I was just kind of doing what I could just to feel involved, because Haven always felt really close to my heart. And my girlfriend, EJ, at the time who worked at Haven, was going to a speak out that was actually the first time was a speak out and I told my story publicly for the first time and even then it was only like a part of my story that's something that not many people know that I was really telling my mom's story and my sister's story for a really long time and how that affected me and a little bit about the childhood abuse that I had witnessed and through that, I then got hooked up with Sasa and was in the vagina monologues and had an opportunity to actually write my own monologue. And that was the first time that I spoke about my sexual assault to my uncle. And then through all of that, fast forward another like five or six years, I was connected with End the Silence. And it was through the training and End the Silence that I was able to really tell my story of my first abuser and like let that go and so what I'm trying to say here is for me it was like this uh slow progression and it all didn't happen at once but it was just through getting connected getting connected with my local shelter getting connected with local events um, marches and the opportunity just started to rise I also wrote a lot privately mm -hmm. in my journal mm -hmm. and I felt like that was a safe place to tell my story and if you haven't done that yet I would strongly suggest mm -hmm. that as a beginning spot I also know that We Are Her has a blog and uh, I know that Stevie and We Are Her are always looking for people to want to share their stories and also like finding people in your life that want to like share the story like want to hear your story and just seeking that out without like you could do that without being aggressive about it like do you do, do you want to hear my story but oh, you know yeah. <laughs> there's moments and you'll you'll know you'll feel that comfort we're in the level. me too movement yeah like it's the the number of women who've experienced sexual abuse and men too let's uh yes. let's to be clear the number of humans who have experienced some type of sexual abuse sexual assault um you know intimate partner violence familial violence like it is pervasive and once you start you know having a conversation with someone and they open up like you can connect with somebody who maybe wants to share their story with you and you want to share their story with them um you know not to beat the look up your you know d local dv resource drum but like yeah go do that up. they often have support groups or some sort of program where you're able to like speak about your story or not or just listen um I mean I personally am a survivor and I don't talk about it very often at all because I've always been in a professional role working with other survivors and so there's this level of like oh god like what is the professional boundary in terms of self-disclosure um but I've recently left my job I'm going back to school and I've just I love it and like you know just started to talk about my own story like a little 
little bit. And there are people that I feel really safe and comfortable doing that with. Um, but it, like even in counseling, it's hard for me to like say the words out loud, to say the graphic details out loud of some of the things that have happened. Like I just can't, you know, I am mm. not there yet. And so don't feel if even if you like have a desire, because I have a desire, I have a desire to share my story, but I can't say it yet. And that is OK. You know, whenever you're ready, there are people to receive you, but don't feel like you need to force yourself to say things that you're not ready to say yet, because that's just going to be more re-traumatizing. Yeah, for you. I was going to say that's going to be more traumatic than anything, but there are there are opportunities out there. I mean, we are her Facebook page. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always peeking on yeah. there and I love the tidbits and the longer tidbits of people sharing their stories yes. and we want to hear you. Some online community if you want to get invited to that. It's a private Facebook group. But if you're a survivor and want to be a part of the We Are Her Survivor uh, Facebook group, it's a great place to just be like, yo, I'm having a really shitty day yeah, because of X, Y, and Z. And people will jump in and support you. So whenever you're ready, there are people to receive you, including us. Yes. Um, from a listener in South Dakota. <laughs> Gosh, this is such a big question. When do things start getting better? I ask myself the same thing today. Today, I had a yeah. shit-ass day. And it was just like one thing after another. It started when I stubbed my toe chasing <laughs> the gals were staying at a house. And I stubbed my toe last night and cracked my toenail off. And so this morning, I had to get up and put my sneaker on a busted-ass toe <laughs> and walk on that sucker all day. And it was like every patient I saw, every moment was just like driven by this like, moment you know and I was just like when is it gonna start to get better like why like I'm in a funk you know I just sold my house and it's like I think we can all ask ourselves that question and I think as survivors we can sit in that question for a really long time and my blunt response to you is is when you make it better mm, yeah when you make it better when you stand up and do what it needs what needs to be done to make it better and so for me Today was just taking a deep breath. I literally walked outside because I work in a cave and I don't get sunshine. And I took a deep breath and I was like, it's okay. Like, legit, people are dying. People are struggling to take their last breath. I am capable. I am loved. Like, you just mentally go through the things that are going to make you thrive for that day and restart. And sometimes you have to do that every day. Sometimes I have to do that once a month, you know, like, but when it comes up, you are responsible yes. for making it better for yourself. And it starts getting better when you take that responsibility and you stop expecting a man to do it or anyone else yes. to do it for you. Which is so empowering. And that's not like a judgment. Like I hear no. that and I'm like, mm, get it, get it. You know, like those are the moments where you you are responsible for your own destiny. You're responsible for your own well-being. And that can feel like a lot of pressure and it can be really scary, but it it's is. also super empowering. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as survivors to like be healed, you know, like as if, as if yeah. it is a, an end goal, it is a destination and it's not, you are never fully healed. Even people who haven't experienced abuse have their own shit going on we're all broken, you know, we're all, we all have our own issues. It is not a destination. You just have to like take a deep breath and be like, okay, I'm ready to be better. I'm ready to start yeah. healing and then like ride out that roller coaster. And it's a lot of up and downs. It's not linear. You know, it's, a, it, you, 
I would look at like the bigger trajectory if you want to heal it's like an upward progression right but there's a lot of dips <laughs> there are a lot of dips and I think there's this idea I know for myself I suffered from this thought that well I went through that I talked about that in therapy it should be done like I I'm you know I I I used to like tell my therapist like I just want all my boxes of shit up on a wall all neatly placed all mm. closed and like tucked away and I just wanted to stay there like I dealt with it it's sorted it's organized and I feel like life comes in and like kicks the shelf yeah. and then shit's like bah, 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 bah. it's like the dam breaking loose and I'm like fuck you know but that is life and once my therapist she's so straightforward she's like honey I'm so sorry but that is like trying to hurt frail cats and once you get one in the box two are gonna leave like right. that is just how it works and like we need to work on not letting your dam break when right. one thing goes wrong it's right. like I would stub my toe and then I'm like fuck I was sexually molested as a child fuck <laughs> I let my high school sweetheart fuck me up you know right. fuck you know all the shit you know and I'd be like this happened this happened this happened and I would sabotage myself and then I would be like when does when do things start getting better like they were and I would be upset that I had gotten back to that place right. and I think it's important to say they will be good and then they will not be good and then they will be good and then they will not be good. Totally. And you, but you can build resiliency. Absolutely. And there's so many good resources out there. Like get online and Google how to build resiliency. Read some articles. There's amazing books. Like you, you know, it's and and I think what I'm hearing, we're like, I stubbed my toe, and then I was like, fuck, I was molested as a kid. Like no, I mean, like, and I hate to laugh. It's so so messed. You know, some of us have dark senses of humor. Like, yeah. That's how we get through this. But like, no, but really, like, what I'm hearing is like, you can stub your toe and be like, I'm okay. Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. You I know, lost a toenail, but right. I'll be all right. I'm okay, and then like it's resiliency. Yeah, you know, so go do what you need to do. Take care of yourself in order to build that resiliency, so that like not like one small thing doesn't sort of send the whole you know castle of cards crumbling down. Yeah, and I definitely I oh I, I feel like I don't want to end there because I I don't want to be like the messenger of doom. Like it never gets better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I just did that but it does my good days outweigh my bad days by a million and it it, it does get better and it, it takes time and it takes space and it takes healing you will get there you'll get there and then you will stub your toe too and you're gonna be like I'm okay I'm okay <laughs> all right um we have a few comments so I think we'll kind of get through these pretty quickly these are some really amazing comments that some listeners have sent us about the podcast. We can make a couple comments on the comments. Um, but this comment uh, says, I am a survivor of an abusive relationship that took a magnificent toll on my health. Listening to this podcast has been really influential and helped me in my recovery process. Thank you for all you do. That's why we're here. I know. Thank you so much for that comment. <laughs> Makes me really happy to hear that there are survivors out out there that are listening to this that um that are finding some comfort or like level of he healing from listening to the podcast. It's really yeah. that's like why we're doing it. It is. It absolutely is. Thank yeah. you, Stevie, for that. Whoop whoop. Okay, another comment. I found becoming her this summer. And it was a catalyst for me to stop pretending my trauma never happened and finally get myself into therapy. I have a long way to go, but this is saving my life. <sighs> so I am in this that same boat where, like, because of my 
professional role in this world of trauma and abuse and assault, I've always been like, oh, my trauma comes second. You know, like my job is to help other survivors. Like, you know, and I, I've tried to address my trauma on and off like over the years, but um, that resonates a lot with me. And even just being a part of this project and listening to other people has like really not only helped my healing, but like, I mean, empowered me to like address my own shit. Because for a lot of years, I've been like, no, 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 it's not me. No, 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 it's other people. No, 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 my job is to help other survivors. And it's like, Emily, you're a survivor too, and that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay. And I am strong, and I am empowered, and I'm educated, and I'm a great partner, and I'm, and I work in, you know, I'm a professional, and I'm a survivor. And, but yeah. that can be really hard to say out loud, and it can be such an intense label to put on yourself. But, um, no, I, I just really appreciate that comment. So I do too. Okay. Uh, well, and I mean, like, not to like say things about your own story, but blow it up. Okay. <laughs> when I started working with KP at Haven through End the Silence, you were like, "Oh, my mom's story and my sister's story." And then at one point, you're like, "You know, I had this relationship in high school," and you started talking about it, and everyone in the room was like, "Oh, what the fuck did you just say?" <laughs> Uh, KP, that was um, maybe an abusive relationship. And you're like, holy shit. I didn't even realize, like, I was in an, I am a primary survivor. You weren't just, it wasn't just your mom. It wasn't just your sister. Like, you were in an abusive relationship, you know? But that can be so hard to see. It is so hard to see. I identified as a secondary survivor for so long. So long. Um, which ties back to the, like the family abuse, you know, and like, do we have a seat at the table? Yes, there's actually a table for you in yeah. the room, you know, yeah. your own um, table. Yeah, you know, your own Come not on in. You got your own table. We give a bottle of water. <laughs> we have some appetizers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, this shit saved my life. It saved my marriage. Mm. It saved a really big part of my soul. So, amen to saving lives. Find your people, man. Find your people. Get out there. Find the people that you can connect with. Find those um, groups where you feel safe sharing your story because it can be life-changing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, last comment here. Uh, thank you, Kendall, and that was episode three, uh, for being real about PTSD. I've been educating myself on abuse, and I didn't know I could potentially be suffering from something as serious as PTSD. Last week, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I wasn't looking for a diagnosis, just confirmation that something more was going on. Thank you for helping me get the help that I needed. And Kendall's episode is, I was texting KP. Like, I was, you know, like, I interviewed Kendall, right? And I was re-listening to it, and I was like, KP, you need to listen to this episode. It was so freaking good. Like, and there was so, there's so much. I mean, she talks a bit about her experience with, you know, being a childhood sexual abuse survivor, but, like, everything that she said, I was like, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, my God. Like, she's it's just jam-packed full of really helpful information. Because we are pretty knowledgeable, yeah. all of us in this room, yeah. about this topic. And when I listened to Kendall's episode, I just had these so many aha moments, and I was like, no shit, I did not know that. Like, the whole thing about the eating disorders, yes. I was like, I had an eating disorder. Right. Like, Thank no, you, Kendall. No way. And I had the information about the PTSD because I, too, have been diagnosed with PTSD. And I remember the first time that th- those words came out of my therapist's mouth. And I feel so ashamed to say this, but, I mean, safe place. All I could think of was, but I'm not in the military. Mm. 
because so PTSD right. at that time was something that had become a buzzword mm-hmm. for me that was attached to all of these sh- soldiers that had gone overseas and my brother suffered from PTSD and committed suicide and my sister was and is still suffering from PTSD now from being in the military from being in the military yeah. but from being in a shitty abusive household and when those words like PTSD were like directed at me like it like totally took me off guard and then I became educated about it and it like made me really sad Mm. It made me sad that this that what I came from created all this fucked up shit in my head and, you know, makes my brain tick differently and et cetera, et cetera. And so I am with you, girl, because I never was looking for a diagnosis and just confirmation that something was wrong or that I had things that I needed to deal with. But once you know about PTSD Mm. and you know how you can. Uh, work on healing yourself from PTSD there is a brighter side to life and I wish you well on that journey Mm -hmm. and one thing that Kendall says in her episode was um, I have PTSD I am not PTSD yeah and I remember being like oh my god that is amazing because I also have PTSD I have an anxiety disorder that's associated with the abuse that I've experienced and um but that's not like that's not who I am you know that's not my identity I am so much more I live with that and there are parts of my PTSD that I actually that like make me uniquely me in a way that I like actually like yeah like I wouldn't want to oh, that's that's hard I don't think <laughs> I would want to like not have my mental health issues because then I wouldn't be me you know yeah. in like a weird way um but you can learn how to manage it. There's so much help out there. There's so many resources. Uh, God, yeah. I mean, counseling, again, is amazing. Like, there's so many mental health professionals um, who are so much better equipped to support you in that journey of healing than, like, I am. But, um, yeah, it's out there. Okay, last, very last question here. Um, we've been getting this question a lot because this first season of the podcast has been very um, – successful very popular um we've gotten a lot of support great feedback and a lot of survivors have been asking like how do i get on season two um which makes us very excited um and so to answer that question uh we are in you know kind of the preliminary discussions around creating a an application um for anyone who's interested in being on the podcast to fill out that application is probably going to go live in September. So if you are interested in being in the podcast, go follow us on social media. I think we're just going to put it there. Um, you know, pr- first and foremost, that's going to be the predominant place that you can find it. And just go on, fill it out. Um, it'll be open for two months. Um, and then we're going to look at everyone who applied and pick uh, 12 people again because we'd really like to have the second season be um, 12 episodes just like the first season Um, and then we'll probably be you know recording sometime in the winter or spring so if you're interested follow us on social media that application will be out there in September and I cannot wait to hear everyone else's stories I know it's this first season was so good that I'm like "Ah, I'm scared what if what if I don't do as good a job but it's not about me about um helping survivors share their stories and every story that i've heard so far is just like so poignant and powerful and um 
yeah, if you have that itch to share your story, then we'd love to have you fill out an application. Yeah, and if you don't get chosen to share your story here, please seek out alternative venue venues. Just yeah, go no, find yeah, yourself a venue. a venue and tell it, girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I am renting this um, bridal, ve- this avenues. wedding venue. <laughs> yeah. Avenues. Uh, seek out other avenues to to do so. And if you need help with that, you can find us at weareher.com and net. net. Weareher.net. Weareher.net. And uh, come be a part of the community. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.